Hello and welcome to Legendary Africa, the podcast where a disembodied voice speaks about African myths, legends, and folklore straight into your ear canal. And I'll tell you what, it's getting crowded in here, people. Between the earwax and the earworms, I barely have space for my mic, let alone a cup of coffee. Please, it's time to clean. admit this week was difficult for me i've been trying to write my notes for this episode since wednesday and i just couldn't write more than a sentence i kept thinking about how much easier and nicer it was when rishad and i used to just banter about random shit on the podcast i was working on the website this week and i added a reviews page where i have some of the reviews people have left for the podcast and so many people mentioned that they liked the podcast because of the way rishad and i bantered and joked with each other. So I I guess I just missed that. I really, really miss it and I miss her. The way we used to banter and discuss things with each other on the podcast is pretty much the same way we did when we didn't have the podcast. It was really totally genuine. Just two sisters who were best friends who loved hanging out and talking shit. Now my own voice just echoes back at me and I think I just was struggling with that a little bit this week. But I really wanted to stick to my weekly plan because this podcast is our brain baby and continuing it means Australia is still alive in a, in a way. I really do believe that. It's just, it's just hard to stay positive all the time. Anyway, sorry about that miserable start. Before we start the story, I have an interesting mystery to present to you. So here's the scene. Japan, 22nd of February, 1803. A strange spherical ship is washed ashore in Japan. Fishermen who saw the boat claimed that it was round with top windows and metal strips at the bottom. When they boarded the vessel, they could find only one passenger, a young woman with red hair. She was sitting beside a wall, and on that wall was scrawled strange writing. Now this woman also held a box in her lap, clenched tightly between her hands. She couldn't understand what the fishermen were asking her, and there is no mention of what language or what words she said. She refused to let go of the box, and so the fishermen, not knowing what to do with this strange-looking woman in the strange-looking vessel, pushed her back to sea, as one does. So the incident was given the name Utsuru-bun, or hollow ship, and at the time, the fishermen thought the woman may have been a lost princess, who carried the head of her dead lover in the box. They also thought that since they've never seen these glass windows and metal strips before on a boat, they concluded that the woman must have been an alien. Now, people who didn't believe in the alien theory thought that perhaps the red-haired woman was a spy from Russia. So there has, to date, not been any explanation or further theories on who the woman may have been, what she carried in the box, why she didn't want to let go of it, and what the writing on the walls of the boat meant. Strange, eh? There are some things we just can't explain, but we will still try. So I got the story from listverse.com. Go check it out if you want to read it yourself. Uh, you know what? Let me know your theories, if you like, on uh, Twitter, 
at legendarypod1 and on Instagram at legendarypod or send me an email at staylegendarypod at gmail.com. Any theories are welcome, no matter how odd, be they aliens, dancers, aliens and dinosaurs at the same time, magic, anything really. So send them to me and I'll discuss them next episode. So today's episode is about the legendary Kongamoto. Now, this creature comes from the law of East Central Africa, and more specifically from the Kaonde people of Zambia. Now, the Kaonde are matrilineal people, so kinship is technically carried on via the maternal line. Traditionally, a newly married couple would live in the wife's mother's house, but in recent times, many couples have chosen to live in larger cities, um, especially due to an increase in intercultural marriages and urbanization. Now, the origins of the Kaonde are found in the Luba Kingdom in Katanga, a region in Congo. The kingdom was a central African state which existed before colonial forces invaded. Founded in 1585 by King Kongolo Mwamba, the kingdom prospered for years but eventually was destroyed by raids by slavers from East Africa who sought to obtain both slaves and ivory. The kingdom eventually fell in 1889. The Kaonde have several traditional dances as well, such as the Katembo, which is performed by both men and women, usually older women, and the Mutomboko, which is a dance performed to honor hunters after a successful hunt. They also have the Shonongo dance, which is performed between partners. Now, traditionally, uh, Kaonde houses are made out of tamay bounds and dried grass, and this is quite unique, in fact, and these houses are known as Lukelo. Now, the Kaonde people are renowned for their salt-making skills as well, which is passed on from generation to generation. Um, actually, according to a quote from Ceremony Celebrating Zambia's Cultural Heritage by Tamara Gurs, she says, The women who know this art have gathered soil from Kaimbwe salt pan. They burn the earth and put the ash through a dish with holes. Water is then sifted through until it comes out clear. They then boil the mixture on the fire until all the moisture evaporates, leaving the salt. The salt is then made into cone shapes and heated until it is solid, making a type of salt rock called msumba. So um, that was just a little bit of history, moving on to the creature. Now, the creature which comes from the law of the Kaonda people is actually what some call a cryptid. A cryptid is an animal whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated, but which some believe exist due to the existence of verbal evidence. So, like the Yeti, for example, scientists argue that there's no physical evidence to prove such a creature exists, but many people over the years have claimed to have seen it. Hence, verbal evidence exists, which allows the Yeti to straddle the border between myth and fact. The Kangamoto is such a cryptid. So, the Kangamoto was first recorded in 1932 by an explorer called Frank Welland, who recorded eyewitness accounts of the creature by the people of northwestern Zambia. The Kongamoto is described as a large, featherless, flying creature with leathery wings. According to the Kaondo people present at the time, the Kongamoto was reddish in colour, possessed bat-like membranous wings, which were about 5 feet long, or 1.5 metres, and had a beak filled with sharp teeth. When Welland showed them a picture of a pterodactyl, all witnesses agreed that this was the creature they saw, including Chief Kayinga, who instantly identified the pterodactyl as the winged creature haunting the Jewindo swamp area of Zambia. Now, the Kongamoto was greatly feared in the area, especially um, by people traveling in swampy areas or near rivers, 
as it apparently disturbed the water to such a degree that boats overturn and fishermen are actually eaten by the creature. So the Kaunda people wear protective charms called Muchi wa Kongomato, which wards off the creature, supposedly. Then, in 1958, Morris Burton, a science uh, journalist, wrote that a pterodactyl-like creature had been spotted near the Bangwolo wetlands in northeastern Zambia, further pointing towards the existence of the Kongomoto. There were also reports of other flying creatures in Congo, Kenya, and Tanzania. The creatures were described in surprising detail as serpent or dragon-like creatures with forked tails and large mouths filled with rolls of sharp teeth. They had two clawed feet, two ears, and five large nodules on their back. The entire body was covered in green scales, and the tail, belly, and throat in yellowish ones. It had wings large enough for flight, and its eyes were apparently black with tawny brown irises. It also had two nostrils, which flared when flying. I mean, sure, that's detail. Either someone had a really elaborate imagination, all these things were real at some point. So these dragon-like creatures were supposedly living near Mount Kilimanjaro, and, according to Dr. J. L. B. Smith, a South African ichthyologist, a man had reported that this dragon was seen flying quite low to the ground at night near Kilimanjaro. Another similar report emerged from Kenya, where a man saw a dragon flying down from Mount Kenya, and later on spotted tracks which indicated two large lizard feet and a heavy tail. Another account is given by a man named J.P.F. Brown, an engineer whose account went like this. Brown was driving back to Salisbury from a visit to Kasenga in Zara. He stopped at a location called Fort Rosebury, just to the west of Lake Banguelo, to get his canteen from the truck. It was about 6pm when he saw two creatures flying slowly and silently directly overhead. He observed that they looked prehistoric with a long tail and narrow head. He estimated the wingspan of about three to three and a half feet. One of them opened its mouth, and he saw then that there was a large number of pointed teeth. Other similar sightings were reported by the Bemba people, who originated largely from Zambia and Congo. The Bemba traced their ancestry back to the great king Bemba and Shinga, who ruled over the kingdom of Congo in 1509 a kingdom which was established around 1375 AD and stretched from Angola to Congo to Gabon. Now, the Bemba report that flying creatures like the ones reported by J.P.F. Brown live in caves in the cliffs near the Zambezi River. What up, Nyami Nyami? If anyone doesn't remember, I don't remember what episode it was in, but we talked about Nyami Nyami, the river god in the Zambezi River. I wonder what he thought about the pterodactyls. In 1957, a wounded man came into the hospital at Fort Rosebury with a bad wound to the chest. He claimed that while he was in the swamps, the Banguilo swamps, a large bird swooped down and injured him. When the doctor asked him to draw the creature he saw, the man drew a creature eerily similar to a pterodactyl. Searches conducted in this area in 2010, however, involving interviews with local fishermen and online watches, provided no concrete evidence. A creature similar to the Kangamoto was reportedly seen in Cameroon, and there it is called Alitao. It was observed by an exploration team in 1932, and in 1942, another such creature was reported to be seen in a swamp region near the Angola border. Now, a report as recently as 1998 has been made by a Kenyan exchange student, Steve Romandi Menya, who was studying in Louisiana. 
He claimed that the Kangamoto's existence is still believed to be true by some in Kenya. Now, this was 1998. At that time, they claimed that the Kangamoto feeds on decomposing human flesh, which it gets by digging up shallowly buried bodies. So, guys, y'all see any crazy birds? Big ones, sharp teeth, leathery wings. Bury those bodies six feet under, guys. You don't want the Kangamoto coming to eat your loved ones, please. And so that is the legend of the Kangamoto, the living pterodactyl of Zambia. John Hammond really didn't need to go genetically engineer dinosaurs for Jurassic Park. He should have just come to East Africa. Now, I have to just briefly complain here. Yes, I am sorry, but I am going to complain. When I was researching the Kangamoto, all of the information above has been derived from old-ass books written by old-ass white colonialists. Absolutely no offense meant to old-ass white men who are not colonialist or who are not pro-colonialism. You guys are great. But because of this, I've had to paraphrase many of the quotes I found written by them as they were disgustingly and explicitly racist, discriminatory, and condescending. I'm not going to go into the exact detail about what exactly they said, but let's just say words like primitive and other such discriminatory terms were thrown about. These kind of things was the reason Rishali and I often used to complain to each other about how hard it is to research African myths and legends, because you just don't know how much of information you get truly originates from the various ethnicities of Africa, and how much of that information is presented in a biased light. But I hope I managed to wade relatively successfully through all of it. So my sources were theculturetrip.com, genesispark.com, face2faceafrica.com, and of course, my old friend, Wikipedia. I've got a great promo for you guys from the Casting Through Ancient Greece podcast. This podcast focuses on telling the story of ancient Greece history from prehistoric times all the way to the beginning of the Hellenic period, so just after Alexander the Great's death. This podcast is great, especially for ancient Greek junkies, but also it's really easily understandable, even if you haven't heard a single thing about ancient Greece. So give it a listen. In his final days, Alexander the Great's generals asked him who should succeed him. Alexander's answer the strongest. Taken literally, this would see the close of the classical Greek age, an age thousands of years in the making. Join me, Mark Selleck, as I go back to retell the story of ancient Greece in my series Casting Through Ancient Greece. We will cast our way back to its beginnings, all the way through to the spread of its culture throughout the known world, thanks to Alexander and his generals. You can listen and subscribe to the series at www.castingthroughancientgreece.com or you can listen on your favourite podcasting platform. Don't forget to follow the series over on Twitter at Casting Greece or on Facebook at Casting Through Ancient Greece. I look forward to seeing you there. There are a few more podcast recommendations I'd like to do. History and Folklore Podcast. This is their description of their pod. Looking at folklore through history to understand people's perceptions of nature through time. Now, this podcast is really well-researched and I think it's got some really great audio quality. The podcast presents some great folklore such as Household Gods, Elves, wolves, and medieval English folklore, and even folklore involving seaweed. You should definitely check it out. Also, check out their social media Twitter at History Folklore and Instagram at History and Folklore. The second podcast I'd like to recommend is It's a Continent. We're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country, whilst appreciating the identity of each nation. Through each episode, we'll explore key historical moments 
which have shaped the continent in an easily digestible, satirical, and shady format with your hosts, Chinny and Astrid. Now, this is brilliantly researched and well-presented. I love the open discussion between the two hosts, as well as the way they banter. The shade from these ladies, yo, I love it. Now, they have brilliant discussions on the process of decolonization. I have definitely learned loads of new things about my home continent of Africa. It's a brilliant lesson, I guarantee it. So go take a listen to them, subscribe, and follow them on social media. Instagram at It's a Continent Pod, and Twitter at It's a Continent. The last podcast I'd like to recommend is Defining Disney. The description of the pod is this. Podcasters in search of the ultimate truth, what is the best animated Disney movie? It's our job to find out, using objectivity and a detailed rubric, unlike any other. Defining Disney has two great hosts who have wonderful open discussions about Disney movies. Now, I personally love Disney movies, most of them anyway, um, so this is a lovely podcast for me to listen to. But I was not expecting the detail Defining Disney involves in their episodes. There they are defining Disney. And they also have, use a great system, in my opinion, which they use to rank each movie. So if you want deep, detailed discussions of some of your favourite childhood movies, like Robin Hood and Atlantis, listen to this pod. Go subscribe. And find them on social media. Instagram at Defining Disney, and Twitter at Defining Disney Podcast. So that wraps up today's episode. I have been your host, Bashira, the disembodied voice you can't escape. And Legendary Africa is produced by the infamous Hestia the Dog, and we have an unpaid intern as well, Athena the Doggo. Thank you for listening and joining me today, and I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe to Legendary Africa wherever you listen, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, wherever, and to share with your friends, family, and assorted pets. Also, if you enjoy the podcast and want to share their love, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes or Apple users, and purchase for Android peeps. We also have a YouTube channel and a website, which I regularly update. Please go check that out. I usually post podcast episodes on the YouTube channel. And you can read more about the episodes on the website as well as see some of the reviews people have left. A bunch of other stuff. The links will be available in the episode description below. So check us out on at Pod on Instagram and at LegendaryPod1 on Twitter. And I'll see you next Saturday with an all-new ancient myth, legend, or folktale from our beautiful continent of Africa. It's a continent. Until then, tell your loved ones you love them, thank the angel on your shoulder, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye!